Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Father, we um, pray for our children as they, as they go to their classes now, um, that you will be guiding them and shaping them even now um, as they grow and, and learn the things that you have for them. Uh, as we open your word together, we pray that you uh, will speak to us through your word, that the things that we hear this morning will be from you and the things that are uh, just from me, Lord, that they will be easily forgotten. We pray this in your name. Amen. I want to invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 5. We are, we are finishing a section within a larger portion of what we're, what we're doing here. We've been going through the last part of Galatians and for the past three weeks, we've been going through the Galatians uh, chapter 5, verses 22, and now 23 today, uh, the, what's commonly known as the fruit of the Spirit. And we've been talking about, we've been breaking these up into chunks and talking about these. Uh, and so we're going to finish those this morning. We have three more to go. And then what we're going to do is we're going to, uh, we're going to spend the first part talking about these final three fruit, and then we're going to expand out and, and come back to the larger context of, of what Paul is talking about with these fruit and, and why he's, he's giving us this list and how this fits within the larger argument of what he's doing. So uh, we've been talking and, and we've been, uh, Pastor Jim has put up these pictures of, of a fig tree, but before that he's always, he's, last couple of weeks he's put up these picture of a tree that has various uh, fruit on them and it's you know a banana and all these apple and it's and the point is what this doesn't belong right because you don't have multiple fruit growing on one tree um, it's just it's not possible especially bananas on a it's just it, they don't grow like that um, so so we uh, we've been using that to as an example that when Paul talks about the fruit of the spirit here he's not saying fruits multiple and just let's be clear uh, fruit is also a plural. Um, you say you say multi, you have multiple fruit. Um, you don't. You can say fruits as well. But the Greek itself is actually a singular fruit of the spirit. Um, and so he's been putting up this picture. I found I was scouring my archives and I found this picture of my brother that I'd like to put up for you. It's just classy. Um, that's not actually him, but. Uh, uh, that's uh, an example of a, a fruit tree that doesn't really exist in nature, uh, although apparently it's in nature at the time. But we are uh, so we're going to take at these at a look at these last three. And so let's just read for the for the context. Verse 22 here. Paul says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Uh, one of the things that, that we have, have drawn out as we've looked at these various fruit 
uh, and we'll we'll draw it again today, is that that these are not these are not passive qualities that Paul is talking about. Uh, and and what I mean by that is is oftentimes we can think, for example, let's take the first one, love. Uh, sometimes love can, when we talk about love, can just sort of be this uh, intangible feeling that we have towards other people or don't have towards other people. And it's sort of this, yeah, I love that person. Um, peace is, well, you know, I just try to have peace and I, you know, I try to... But, but what Paul is talking when he uses these words, these are all, these are all action words. And so we've talked about this before, that, that love is not something that you feel. Love is something that you do, that you act in love towards another person. Uh, that joy is not something that you just have within you, but it's, joy is, is celebration and it's actually an outflowing peace. is actually living at peace with people and, and peacemaking we could go on patience, kindness. These are these are action type things. And so as we as we jump into our our next one in this list, faithfulness, uh, we want to have this continue in mind that faithfulness is not just something that we we somehow are, but it's something that we do. And this word faithfulness uh, carries with it this idea of of trustworthy, of loyalty. Uh, and when Paul Paul brings this list, and it, it, the word actually could also just be translated faith. Um, but, but within the list, it, it makes more sense within the context that we translate it, faithfulness. And there's two types of faithfulness that Paul could be talking about, and most likely he's talking about both. And it's faithfulness to God, and it's faithfulness to one another. And Paul says that this is when we are living by the Spirit, when we are, when we are living according to the Spirit, that this faithfulness towards God and this faithful, faithfulness towards one another is, is carrying forth in our lives. Faithfulness to others. Are we trustworthy? Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. When we say we're going to do something, do we then do it? Do people rely on us? Can people, can people count on us to, to follow through? Uh, are, we, are we going to betray a friendship? Are we going to uh, be disloyal or are we being faithful? Faithfulness to God. Uh, really, come, and we've just sung about this. Great is thy faithfulness. Part of what faithfulness to God is, is trusting in his, in his faithfulness. Trusting that God will continue to be faithful. Because when we don't believe that God is faithful, then we don't trust in him and we don't remain faithful to him. If we think that God is going to let us down and that God won't come through, then it's, it's easy to begin to make small compromises in the things that he has asked of us and the way that he has called us to live. And he says, and when he, so as we look at this list that's above that, that Paul talks about, the acts of the sinful nature, and we see things in there like selfish ambition or envy, we see things like this and we say, well, if, if God is not going to be faithful to me, if God is not going to carry out and give me what I need, then, then I need to grab and, and attain for myself. And I, don't need, I can't be thinking about what other people need or, or care about because, because God's not going to take care of me and so I need to take care of myself. And it's then gaining this selfish ambition to, to grow 
on our own or to, to envy what other people have because God apparently hasn't given me enough. And so uh, we, we often are drawn with this idea of faithfulness or unfaithfulness towards... Uh, sometimes we think of unfaithfulness maybe as, as really big decisions that, that are just completely counter to what God wants and we're, of course, being unfaithful in those things. Uh, but faithfulness is also, or unfaithfulness is, is small day-to-day decisions. Just little compromises, little tiny steps that uh, nobody's going to know, this isn't going to hurt anybody. Uh, I can get away with this. Like, and, and what Paul is saying is that when the Spirit is working in us and we're living according to the Spirit, uh, that these tiny compromises no longer have a place, that we remain faithful even in the little things. Jesus tells a parable uh, in the Gospels about uh, a man who goes on, on a journey and he, and he entrusts his servants with various amounts of, of his wealth in order to, to produce, to produce more, and he entrusts it to them. And, uh, and he comes back and he says, okay, what have you done? How have you been faithful with the things that I have given you? And this is what God is calling us to when we talk about faithfulness. This is what the Spirit should be doing is, how are we using the things that God has entrusted us with. Not how are we using the things that God has entrusted that person with, but you. The things that God has given you. Are you, are you living faithfully uh, in the place that you have been called? The second one is gentleness. Uh, gentleness is, is a word that we, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a difficult word for us sometimes because it conveys, I think, the idea of weakness. Um, Gentleness conveys the idea of maybe just somebody who, who doesn't have any, any sort of... It's, it's a passive word sometimes. Um, and so when I think of gentleness, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is when our son is petting the dog. And maybe you've, those of you that have had young kids around pets, uh, you have to tell them, okay, be gentle. Or when he's around my guitar, you know... <laughs> The other day he was in my office and apparently I had left a fork in there and he was trying to play the guitar with the fork. And I was like, okay, you've got to be gentle here, right? Um, and this is really a, a better way to think about this. That it's not, it's, it's, it's still an action word. That, that we come with gentleness and, and we're still doing something. Sometimes gentleness can feel like we're just sitting back and, and we're, we're, maybe we're letting people walk over us and we have this gentle spirit where we don't really confront we don't really do anything but but actually uh, the way that gentleness is used in scripture uh, is the idea really of a controlled strength that that we are acting and moving forward but we're not doing it with with harshness and aggressiveness but we're we're able to be gentle and so it's the idea then of uh, of playing an instrument or or petting an animal or doing something uh, with with the, with power that you have to maybe do damage, but instead you choose to hold back and you come with gentleness. I want to show you just two places where this is used. Turn to Second Timothy, chapter two, so we can see see how gentleness is used uh, here in the New Testament. Second Timothy, chapter two. We'll begin in verse 22. 
Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, but not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed and the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So Paul is using this idea, and you see that word gently in there. That our, that, and this is really the way that gentleness is used in the New Testament a lot. We'll look at one other in a second. That it's actually, gentleness is how do we, how do we respond to those who are in opposition to us? Or how do we respond to those who are other than us? Do we respond to people who we disagree with uh, by just jumping into the argument and we, and we keep fighting and arguing until we've been right and we've emerged victorious? Uh, or do we come with gentleness, uh, with, with the strength of our convictions, but at the same time uh, a, a softness, uh, a restraint that, that allows us not... Uh, to emerge victorious over another, uh, but to guide them and to teach them uh, and to enter into a conversation with them. Let's look at one more. Keep going to the right to First uh, Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Uh, and so what Peter is saying here is, is be prepared, be ready to give an answer for, for what you believe, for the hope that you have in, in Christ, for the reason that you have chosen uh, to live in this way, for the reason that you have chosen to, to follow after God. Be prepared to give an answer for that. But be sure that when you do, uh, it is with gentleness and respect. See, a lot of times we can, we can be right about, uh, as we enter into an argument, or we may, we may be right that we, feel, that we need to uh, challenge someone's opinion or, or correct somebody in a certain, in a certain area. Um, we may be right in doing that, in, in confronting somebody. But we may be very wrong in the way that we're doing it. Uh, and, and we, I mean, you just have to take a look at public discourse on the news or, or wherever you, you see it to, to realize that gentleness is not something that is held in very high esteem in our day. Uh, and Paul says that if you are being guided by the Spirit, that when you enter into conflict, when you enter into argument, uh, when you enter into a place where you need to correct, that you do it with gentleness. You do it with respect. Um, 
Our last one here, if we turn back to Galatians chapter 5, is self-control. The Olympics are over. Anybody been watching the Olympics? The, does anybody not want to know the, who won the gold medal hockey game? I won't, I'm going to spoil it for you. Canadians won. Um, 3 nothing over Sweden. So that was exciting. Is anybody, you guys watching the Olympics? Uh, my, I think the most impressive sport as I wa- have been watching the Olympics, and, and I've seen it before, but I, I really watched it this year, was the biathlon. You guys watch that? It is amazing. These people are coming in, uh, on the, if you haven't seen it, it's cross-country skiing, but it's also shooting guns. So they, they come in on their, on their cross-country skis, and they come to their firing range, and they have to hit a target. Um, someone, I was hearing someone that said it's like about 50 yards away from them. And they're coming in, and their heart rate is about 190 beats per minute. And they have to, sometimes standing, sometimes kneeling. I think when they're laying down, I, I heard that the target is the size of a golf ball. 50 yards away. And their heart is going at 190 beats per minute. They said that when, by the time they, they actually fire, it takes about 15 seconds to get to the place, set up, and fire, um, that their heart rate has dropped all the way down to only 160 beats per minute. So they're, you know, they're much more in control of that uh, as they try to hit that golf ball. And they have to factor in the wind as they're doing because it it's outside. And so, I mean, it's just, just this fascinating thing that somebody is, is able to do that. And you see them hit it one, two, three, four, five, and then they get, and of course, if you miss, you have to do a penalty lap. It's not, it's not that you just get penalized time. You actually have to do a whole other, like, penalty lap. And so you're, you're using more energy. It's just, and yeah, it's just fascinating to me. This is what Paul is, this is what self-control is. Self-control uh, again, is not a passive just like, I can just sit here and I'm not doing anything and I have self-control. But self-control is when we engage uh, in a way uh, that is controlled, uh, that, that we are directing our energies uh, efficiently and wisely, that we are, that, that we are moving forward uh, in control of who we are. Uh, it's purposeful action. Let's look at one, one more passage here that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We get another idea of what, what he's talking about. It's actually a very, very similar analogy to, to what I just used. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. And this is our same word, actually, the, the same root of our word. That strict training is the word that Paul uses for self-control in Galatians. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it a slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And so when Paul talks about self-control in Galatians, when he's talking about this idea, is, is he wants us to be, to be engaging in these other fruit of the Spirit, 
engaging in love, engaging in joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness uh, with, with intention, with purpose. That, that what God is doing, and we'll, we'll take a look at this in a second, what God is trying to do is, is, is forming us into a kind of people who live the lives that he has created us to live as human beings. Who, who live in a way that is true to the way that he has, he has ordered our world to be. And what often happens is, is uh, our natural tendency is towards those things that he has listed in verses 16, uh, 8, 19 and through 21. These ideas of, uh, of immorality and impurity and hatred and discord and jealousy, that, that our, our inclinations are towards these things, towards living for ourselves. And that these things are counter to the life that God is, has designed for us. And so he's calling us to live actively and, and direct our energies well towards love and joy and peace. And we do it in, in self-control. We do it with, with purpose and intention, directing our energies wisely. And now let's take these last uh, 10, 15 minutes and, and expand our context now. Paul, Paul has given this list, and then at the end of it, in verse 23, he says, Against such things there is no law. Um, as, as we look at the larger context of Galatians here, and, and we don't obviously have time to, to go back and read through the whole thing, but I encourage you to do this. What Paul is doing is he's making a, an argument uh, that, that, there were peop- that there were Gentiles who were coming to Christ, who were being told uh, that if you, if you really want to be the people of God, there are a set of rules that you need to follow. And there are certain things that you need to do in order uh, to really be the people of God. This has been, this has been how, we, how we decide and how, how we know who has been part of God's people. This is what God has asked of his people for centuries. And if you, if you want to be a part of it, um, that's great that you have the faith thing, but you actually, there's, there's, there's some things that we need to talk about. Um, guys, specifically. Um, I'll just let it, leave it at that. Um, uh, that there are things that you had to do in order to be a part of God's people. And there, so there's a list. There's, here are the things you do, here are the things you don't do. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. in Christ, uh, none of those things matter anymore. That Christ has actually brought us to a place where, where he has fulfilled the law. And so we are no longer bound to the requirements that the law asks of us. And he's, and he's been presenting this argument that the, he said the law had a, had a place, uh, had a place to teach us what was right and wrong. But actually now uh, the law is no longer ap- applicable. Um, and so he uses this phrase, against such things there is no law, which uh, about three to four hundred years earlier, a guy by the name of Aristotle had said a very similar thing. He, he was speaking about a virtuous person and he, and he gave, gives this list of virtuous people and he says, a person who lives by these things, a person who is virtuous, uh, against such a person there is no law. And what he, what he meant by that and what Paul means by this is that there, if, if you are walking in this way, that there is no law that you need. 
the, the law is in place to correct and guide and make sure that people don't uh, go step beyond and, and harm each other and do things that are damaging to society. And if you're living a virtuous life, Aristotle says, that you don't need that law because you're, you're already doing it. The law has no place. And Paul is, a very, is making a very similar argument, but he's not talking about societal laws. He's talking about uh, the, the law of Moses. And he's saying that, uh, a pers- that, that there was a time and a place where the law was necessary to guide and instruct. But now that Christ has come, he has freed us from that instruction. He has freed us from that law. And now we are free to live in the Spirit. And he says, those who are living by the Spirit uh, live by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Um, uh, the way that it, that I, helps me think about this is, uh, just last week the sun came out for a little while, and uh, it's still a little cold, but we decided to walk over to the, to the park just over here. Um, we like to go to the park, and Sam is, is kind of getting big enough where he can, he can kind of play on some of the things. And so we walked over to the park, and, and Sam is getting big enough now where he, uh, he, can, he can walk over there on his own. Not on his own, but with us, you know. Um, um, and so we, so we walk over, and, and we, go, we go 185th Street, and then down Corliss, and then to the park. When, when we are walking on 185th Street, uh, Sam is holding our hand. Uh, no questions asked. Like, it's not like, oh, I'm just going to stop and go check this out over here. Like, you're, you're hanging on to us. And when we turn down Corliss, there's no sidewalk. Um, it's a little safer. There's less traffic. Um, but he's still holding our hand for the most part. A little bit, you know, he can kind of go. But we're, we're basically, you know, not letting him get more than a foot away from us where we can grab him if, some, if we need to. Uh, when we get to the park, uh, there's some fences and stuff. It's a little bit more safe. And, and we can, he can let go of our hand and he can, he can run. But we're still, we're still pretty close. I mean, we're within, you know, a few feet of him, watching him, keeping an eye. We get over to the jungle gyms, and there are some bigger kids running around, doing the slide. He's not quite big. The slide over there is like eight feet high. And so he's not big enough to get up there on his own. Like, if he, you know, he's not quite as sure of himself to, he'd probably fall off. Um, and, you know, I went up there with him and put him down. Even that's a little too much for him. But, but there are some other kids there who, who the, the mom is just able to sit on the bench and watch their kids run and play and do their thing and they can run over the swings and run back and, and the mom, you know, can check her Facebook or do whatever moms do at the park when their kids are that old, uh, play words with friends or whatever, you know, they're, they're doing. Um, and, and doesn't necessarily have to keep an eye on them as much. Uh, at some point, Sam is going to get to that age. At some point, he's going to get old enough where we can just kind of let him do his thing. Uh, at some point, he's going to get old enough where he could just walk over there by himself. Uh, someday, maybe, uh, he'll get old enough where he can uh, drive a car. Um, I know it's a scary thought. Um, and go, go wherever he wants. He, you know, drive to school, go, um, that's about it. He'll drive back and forth to school. Uh, 
Maybe do his job. If he's driving, he's got to have a job. Um, uh, eventually, he's going to get old enough that, that he is living on his own and can do whatever he wants and make his own decisions. Uh, Paul, Paul makes this argument earlier in Galatians that this is what the law did. That, that the law was there holding our hands uh, holding the hands of, of the people of Israel and giving instruction and teaching, um, guiding and, and leading them towards right decisions. And that, that, it, that it, it pushed them along and, and gave a framework for, in which they could say, this is, this is what is right, this is what is wrong. And very strict, yes, no, do, don't. Uh, but Paul is saying that now in Christ, the only thing uh, that is guiding us is our faith. The only thing that we need is our faith. And that we are no longer guided by this list of rules and do's and don'ts. And so he's saying these people who are trying to say, you need to submit to these, to these rules, that they're, just, they're missing out on what Christ has done. They're missing out on, on the faith that Christ has, has called us to and the way that God is working. Uh, that the purpose of, of Christ and his work was to free us from the law and to free us from these lists of do's and don'ts and to free us to live. To free us to, to, to live a life that God had originally intended for us to live as human beings. To live the way that God has intended us to live. And so he says this in, in verse 25. Uh, yeah, verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit. So if we have come to Christ in faith, uh, we, are being, we are living by the Spirit. We are being guided by the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, and the Spirit is producing this fruit in us, let us then keep in step with the Spirit. Let us then allow the Spirit to be the thing that guides us. And how do we know, so, so the question then is, how do we know if we don't have these laws, we don't have these lists, we don't have these things that say do and don't, um, and we're just free, how do we, how do we know, can, doesn't that mean we can just do anything? Well, yes, but uh, the, the direction then is that Paul says, if you are living by the Spirit, here's what this is going to look like in your life. It's going to look like love. It's going to look like joy. It's going to look like peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And so uh, the, the direction is not a list of you have to do this on this day. And if you don't do this, then you're not living for God. It's, <coughs> it's are you living a life of love? Are you living a life of joy? This decision that you are making right now, uh, is it is it loving uh, is it joyful? Is it peaceful? Uh, and and we can make and it's it's important we we draw this distinction back to that it, that it's it's singular fruit that we don't get to pick and choose. Oh well, yeah, this is this is definitely bringing me a lot of joy right now to live this way or to engage in this practice. It may not be very good. It may not be very kind. Uh, but it, it's bring no. It, we don't get to pick and choose which ones, and so so our guiding force now, 
Paul is saying, should be the Spirit. And that this is what God is trying to form in us. And so we'll, we're going to look at this in a couple weeks. And I don't want to steal Jim's thunder, but I'm going to a little bit. Um, chapter 6, verse 15, Paul is saying this. Again, this, this argument of, of the law and what, what is required and, and what is necessary. Paul says, so then, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, these, these requirements of are you in the law or are you out of the law, means anything. What counts is the new creation. That what God is desiring to form in us as people is that we become a new creation in Him. And that it's not about the list of do's and don'ts. It's about are we becoming, are we being formed into the new creation that God desires us to be? And how do we know what this new creation looks like? It looks like a life lived by the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. This is how we know if we are acting rightly. And so there are two tensions here as, as we uh, wrap up. Uh, we, we are people who love to define ourselves. And we love to define what is, what is in and what is out. Um, and this is not, I'm saying, just we as, as Christians, uh, but we as, as a culture. We see this all over the place, that there's, there are ways that we, that we can take pride in who we are and what we've accomplished or the, the effort that we've put in. And we look at the effort that somebody else puts in and say, it's not as much as us and so it's not good enough. It's, it's not as equal. And so, I mean, you see this even in, uh, in things as trivial as conversations about sports, right? Uh, or, or music or, or things like that where it's, uh, we talk about bandwagon fans, right? Because, and, and what is a bandwagon fan? Someone who follows, yeah, it's okay, so the Seahawks are, are winning, they're gonna go to the Super Bowl, yeah, I'm a Seahawks fan, right? And we, and we say, ah, oh, but I've been with them since, you know, 1976. <laughs> um, and so you people who are just coming along for the ride, uh, you're not, you're not real Seahawks fans. Or we take pride in, ah, oh, man, I've been following that band since they, since their first album when nobody knew about them. And now, yeah, every, now they're big and, and, you know, everybody's on the bandwagon, but, but I've been with them since the beginning. You know, and we feel this pride, and, and, and we feel this even, um, as Christians sometimes that, that, well, I'm, you know, I'm making all of these sacrifices for God. I'm doing all of these things and I'm serving and I'm, and I am committed and I'm living this way and I'm giving and I'm, and I look at these people and they're, man, they're just not, they're not really Christians. Like if they, if they were really passionate about God, if they really cared about, then they, they, you know, they would be giving more, they would be serving more, they would be, and, and the, the point of what Paul is trying to say in Galatians is that, that we come to Christ, uh, Simply by faith. And that there is nothing else required of us. That we are accepted just as we are. We don't have to put in our time and then God says, okay, yeah, you've, now, now you're there. Like, you, you've put in the effort. But Paul is saying that, that right as we are, we are accepted by God. And that he 
uh, is forming in us a new creation. And so, so one of these tensions is, is the sense that we, we don't like this. We don't like that some people can just show up and receive the same grace and forgiveness that, that we receive. I think, well, yeah, but the lifestyle that they're living, like they, they gotta, they gotta stop that first and then God will forgive them. Or the way that they, man, they're just so angry, like if God must, like, they may, maybe they're not really Christian, the way that they, I mean, do you hear how they spoke to that person? Uh, and, and so we find all of these reasons to say that we are the true people. We are, we are the loyalists. And these people out here are eh, kind of wishy-washy. And so we don't like that Paul says, uh, no, it's, it's open for anybody, right as you are. Uh, and then the second tension uh, some of us have been taught this. Some of us have learned this. Some of us have heard this message that it's only the, it's only the good, it's only the elite that come uh, and find favor with God. Uh, and if you are here this morning and that is the message that you have heard, that, that you have to, if, you, if you want to find favor with God, you have to jump through this set of hoops first. This is not the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you come to him in faith. That, that the work that he has done on the cross is enough for you as it is. You don't have to, you don't have to go through a set of rules. You don't have to do a set of, you don't have to become a member of our church. Um, you don't have to do any of it. You simply have to put uh, your trust in what God has done for you. And then as you do that, as you put your trust in what he's done, uh, the hope then is that you would, you would then enter into this life of the Spirit. To know that what, what God has done for you on the cross is beginning the work to form you into a new creation. And so, yes, there, there are things, when you come to faith, there are things that, that are, are asked of you, maybe. There are things that, that are encouraged of you. Because, because God is not just interested in uh, getting you to heaven someday. He is interested in that. But he's also interested in forming you into a new creation today. And he wants to be shaping you and guiding you towards this new creation. And what does this new creation look like? Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. This is what God uh, is guiding us to. And, and it's, it's entering in and submitting to the work of the Spirit in our lives um, that leads us towards the life of a new creation that he is working in us. I invite you this morning, if, if this is you, if, you, if you've been waiting uh, to jump through the hoops, uh, to stop jumping uh, and to just to, to trust and rest in God's faithfulness for you and his love for you. Let's pray. God, we um, are astounded at times by, by this grace that accepts us. Uh, 
uh, without any uh, without any barriers that that comes to us just as we are and says uh, it's enough uh, i've paid for it uh, you are forgiven give us the the courage the the strength uh, to to rely on that uh, to put our trust in your faithfulness to us uh, and lead us more and more as we walk in the Spirit uh, into the life of the new creation. I pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, this week, as you uh, go out into your workplaces and into your neighborhoods, uh, may you live uh, purposely, intentionally, with self-control, uh, in the Spirit, walking and following after the things that He has for you. Not passively, just sort of waiting for things to happen, but may you engage your world with the life of the new creation.